Hey everybody, you're in the Foxworthy Podcast again. This is uh, episode two this week. We're going to have four episodes that drop over the course of the week here towards the end of September. This one is back to our Denis 2049 series. Yesterday we dropped our first Survivor 35 preview uh, on the Heroes Tribe. Two more tribes to go. We'll have the next one on Friday. Show premieres next Wednesday. This is number five in the Denis 2049 series, the 2013 film Prisoners with me and Sam. And later this week, we'll have 2013 also with Enemy. So we wanted to double those up since they were in the same year. So this one is on Prisoners. Enjoy this. Go follow us at Pod, me at Gaines Taylor, and I will be back with you later this week for the next Denis 2049 and the next Survivor preview. It's a great time of the year for us, basically the Super Bowl. Well, the way that we constructed it, I guess. So stay with us and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Foxworthy Podcast, episode 69, the Denis 2049 series. We're on to the fifth movie. We're over halfway, pretty much. I mean, I guess if you count Blade Runner, maybe not, but we're getting there. And with me today to talk about the 2013 film Prisoners, he's praying for the best, but he's preparing for the worst, Sam Hensel. Hello. I feel like I'm trapped in a shower that I'm boarded in in my friend's house because that's where I am coming to you from a different remote location than normal mm, let's see can I, if we can shoehorn any more prisoners <laughs> any references more in. Prison. I feel like someone stole one of my socks and two of my children <laughs> I really liked the smashing the keyboard on the desk in the office that Jake Gyllenhaal gets to do I've always yeah. wanted to smash a keyboard like that. Just watch the individual letters fly everywhere. I love when they blow when they when they break computers in movies. Office Space does it. I wonder what the industry for selling computers that they just to be destroyed in movies is. Well, same with cars, right? They they destroy so many cars yeah. in movies. Yeah. What about all the dead people in movies? What happens to them? I can't believe they have to. How many people they have to kill just to make these movies? It's crazy. And when will the Hollywood slaughter stop? To think that Hugh Jackman came so close to dying and we came so close to missing out on, like, Les Mis and all this other stuff. Right. What else was he in? Spoiler if you haven't seen Prisoners. He does. He almost dies. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll get into spoilers because this is a really interesting movie and I think there's a lot to talk about, but there's no reason to talk around it. And at this point, I think we're far enough into this series that if people are following along, they either are not going to watch the movie or have watched the movie if they're listening. So we'll just talk about it. Yeah. Real quick, some housekeeping. It's Villeneuve's fifth movie. We've talked about all of his French movies. I guess Polytechnique wasn't in French, right? The word Polytechnique is French. (laughs) Okay. But August 32nd (laughs) on Earth, Maelstrom, Polytechnique, Incendies. You can go find all of those discussions and all of the accompanying written pieces alongside those on the foxworthypodcast.com. Yeah, so this is number five, Villeneuve's first big American film. He had a budget of $46 million for this one. I think we talked last time that he had like six and a half for Incendies, so it's a hell of an upgrade. I I assume a lot of that went to having Paul Dano, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Hugh Jackman in the cast, but regardless, it made 122 mil worldwide, so I guess it paid off. Some of the interesting stuff about it, it was nominated for an Oscar, Best Cinematography, at the 20... at the 86th Academy Awards 2013. That's the 2013 movies. Didn't win. It. Uh, oh, what did win? I should probably check that. Gravity. Gravity won Best Cinematography. But I have not seen Gravity. You haven't seen Gravity. No. It's probably only worth seeing if you get to see it in the theater anyway. That's what I heard, yeah. And but they did have Roger yeah. Deakins on for this movie. Pretty famous director of photography, right? DP. DP. 
Yeah, he did like Shawshank and Fargo and Big yeah. Lebowski and uh, a bunch of Coen Brothers movies, actually. Jarhead. This has a very quirky Coen Brothers feel to it, Prisoners. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, the light fun. Yeah, and, and Deacons is also DPing Blade Runner 2049. There we go. And he worked with Villeneuve on Sicario as well, which is upcoming. Johan Johansson made the music great. for this. He's pretty awesome. He, he does a lot of Villeneuve stuff, and he's in the upcoming film Mother. He's not in it. He did the music for it. That movie looks terrifying. Yeah, that looks... It's like It and Mother. Those are the two. I'm trying to see some other stuff. Yeah, it's based off a short story written by the screenwriter Aaron Guzikowski. His short story was called The Telltale Heart. Did he write The Telltale Heart? I always thought someone older did. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's a spinoff. Yeah. It involves a father whose kid was struck by a hit-and-run driver, and then the father puts the guy in a well in his backyard. I guess that's, that's what this movie is based off of? Inspiration. Yeah, inspiring inspiring if there's one thing i think of when i think of prisoners it's inspiration it's just absolutely an inspiring movie for those who don't know it's a movie about one of my favorite prison movies (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's basically about hugh jackman and his wife and the guy from empire and his wife terrence Terrence howard Howard, davis and their children go missing and Jake Gyllenhaal is a detective trying to help find them, and Hugh Jackman doesn't trust that he's doing his job very well and starts to try to take matters into his own hands, and things proceed and devolve and happen, and it's like a whodunit, but also an examination of morality and fear and torture and all these different things. Snakes, mazes. And it's the best Villeneuve movie so far. I mean, it's. I feel like watching his films in order has been instructive in the sense that you can kind of see everything come together to make a movie that is firing on all cylinders this time. Yeah, you get you get this you get little taste this movie in his older in his older movies. I mean, obviously we we like to joke about how his all all the stuff has on the nose references and like very overt symbolism and stuff but his his themes that we've been writing about and, and talking about of darkness without not without light is in this movie too it's this movie is like could be anticipated to some degree having watched some of his old movies but that being said it is very clearly his best to me because Jill Hall's in it <laughs> well wait till you watch enemy then <laughs> that's also Jill Hall oh man I can't wait but it's funny he talked about in an interview that I found on YouTube how this was his first big Hollywood movie and he kind of felt like he went from, I think he told a story about, you know, a producer in Canada would be like, do you just want to use my car for this shot? And they would just right. like use a car. But in this movie, it was like he could have whatever he wanted because it was in Hollywood and he had all this money. And I think he described it as a big drug so it's fun watching him still try to sort of learn his way around English. He still simplifies yeah. some things. But, you know, it, like, he really indulges himself and gets the big actors and goes really long with the movie and really goes in-depth on all these different themes that he wanted to explore. And it's a really fascinating... I mean, we joked about this when we were talking about Polytechnique on the website, but... It's, like, not an easy movie to watch by any means. No. It's just... I mean, it's brutal. And and Villeneuve himself has, I think, two kids. So, like, I can't even imagine what inspired him to want to make a movie about your she kids just vanishing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a equally hard movie to watch, equal to Polytechnique, but it's in a different way. Polytechnique was the longest 80-minute film ever. But, like, this was two and a half hours, and... I never felt tired watching it. If I had a, if I had a two and a half hours of polytechnique, I'd be exhausted. This movie is stressful and, but not in like a super taxing way. Not in a, I don't know. It's like it's the edge of my seat the entire time in a in a more fun way, I guess, than polytechnique. Fun, 
<laughs> the first word it should be on the poster this one using i was gonna say using the word fun very loosely yeah but it is it is fun in, in a and this is too like it's not as light as this but it's fun almost in a horror movie kind of way where you're like enjoying the the thrill and the, the rush i watched this movie a few times i'll watch it a few more times i'm sure probably technique i'll never watch again this is like i i I kind of want to say it's fun. It's a little fun. I hate to say it. It's fun on the Villeneuve scale. Yes, for sure. And also, this is this movie has actors going a thousand in this movie. Hugh Jackman just goes is is on the ground crying and torturing people. Dano, Paul Dano goes a million miles an hour in this movie. This is his, is it his best performance? No, right? <laughs> Paul Dano. Yeah. I don't know. There will be blood is like next level too. Yeah, but that's like in the in the shadow of in the long shadow of DDL in that movie. That's true. He's D- just kind DDL of, he's being just Daniel Day Lewis for those who don't. Ah, know. yes, yes. And and of course, Joan Hall is just doing Joan Hall. It's people like like the scene. It kind of it gets me every time when they when they go up against each other because we we watch these movies where Villeneuve has had no real popular, no big heavy hitting home run hitting actors in it. And all of a sudden he gets a movie with, if we just scroll down the IMDb, Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Viola Davis, Maria Bello, Terrence Howard, Empire's Terrence Howard, Paul Dano, Melissa Leo from The Fighter. I don't know if you've seen The Fighter, the David yeah. Russell. And she's, she's the mom. And she's more or less the villain in this movie. Yeah. And she, we'll get to her. She is ice cold in this movie. <laughs> I love her in this. But when, when Gyllenhaal is just in the interrogation room with Dano and they're both <laughs> going full their characters and they're just playing ISO on each other. Oh, I just love it. I think my favorite so, scene is probably when Jackman comes and gets in the car with Gyllenhaal when yeah. uh, Loki's following him around and he knows he's up to something and he's not exactly sure what it is yet. And they come kind of have it out, sort of have their discussion of morality in the sense that Gyllenhaal is the law like he's order he's the third party who's yeah, supposed to help controlled. solve something like this because he's not emotionally involved where jackman is so emotionally involved that he can't even think rationally and there's a lot to talk about with his character because it's really fascinating yes. the it, it really is great just watching these people go head to head in this movie expect i mean we talked a little bit we'll talk you you just mentioned melissa leo but when she makes the turn at the end and is like pointing the gun at Jackman and making him drink stuff, and it's just like everything is just next level, and it's pretty cool to watch. I mean, he got Deacons for this, like we were saying, and Johan yeah. Johansson. Like this is like pretty much top tier talent across the board. And he's given a big budget, and he's give, like they just gave him the keys. They watched Incendies or something, and they said, "This dude, let's give it, let's give him what he needs to make something," and it pays off. I mean, literally, he got 120 million dollars out of it, or whatever. <laughs> And also, it's just a it's just a super baller movie, <laughs> and it like it raises so many ethical, or I guess like one or two major ethical <laughs> questions. One or two. And, it yeah. is cool because he talked about in one of the interviews I was watching on YouTube that he didn't want to work with people who were stars in the sense that they had a big ego and expected certain things out of the movie, and he, to to your point about him having all this control apparently went to the producers because this movie went through some different actors and directors according to lore you know they say yeah. like Antoine Fuqua was involved at some point and Brian Singer and uh, they said Christian Bale and DiCaprio were involved at some point on the acting side but apparently when Denis came in he was like look there are 500 directors in Hollywood who will make this movie the way that you want to make it. But if you hire me, like you just got to let me do my thing. <laughs> but at, at the same time, he said that, like I was just saying, he didn't want to work with people with big egos. And he described everyone on the set as artists and not stars. Hmm. So I guess that's why he worked again with Gyllenhaal. Or I can't, I'm actually not sure the production order. I, I'll, I'll have that for you by the time we talk about Enemy because... Enemy was released in the same year, 2013. Him and Hall obviously have a nice working relationship. It is funny watching right. this, and Enemy uh, will watch next. It, like, 
I kind of wish Hall was the guy in Blade Runner, but I guess we'll have to deal with some... Uh, I like Gosling, too, so... Yeah, it's interesting about that, uh, that what you're saying about how he doesn't have any stars. Because you look at this, this is like... It is a star, like, a star-studded movie. Um, but it's something I've, I actually read about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal a couple years ago, and I found, I'm just finding it now. Um, written by Shea Serrano on Grantland. Where oh, he's man. Like, I, think it, I, think it's, I think it's him that wrote this. Where it's basically is like, and maybe there's just a bunch of great articles about Jake Gyllenhaal, so it might have been somebody else, but the, the, the crux of the article was that what makes him such a great actor is that he never feels like he has to be the biggest person on screen. I think it was about when Nightcrawler came out, uh, and he was the biggest person on the screen. He was terrifying and great. Um, but he, what he it's does is gaunt like, in, in Nightcrawler. Yeah, he's and his eyes are. I still have scars from his eyes piercing my chest. But what's great about him is that he, like, he knows he is great. And if you give him, if you give him the room to be the only star there, he will. He'll fill that box. But he knows when to sort of pass the ball a little bit. He knows when to. He plays excellent point guard, I believe, is the is is what the basketball we've talked about basketball positions a while ago. I don't oh. know exactly what each one does, but I feel like they pass a lot, <laughs> and so that's what he does. And he like in uh, you look at Brokeback Mountain. I didn't see it, but it, you get. Then I shouldn't really talk about it, but he what he does is he lets he lets the people that are doing well do well around him, and he gives the he gives the room to Jackman to to go full Jackman when it's his turn. And he knows when to, to shoot. And he knows when to give Paul Dano the room, too. And he passes the rock in Nightcrawler, too, right? Or else we wouldn't have Night Of. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rick. <laughs> Our boy Riz Ahmed. Yeah. But speaking of Hall, another thing Villeneuve talked about is that in the script, the detective character was sort of the shakiest part as far as being well-defined or com- right. complicated. And... He said it didn't really come together until they cast Jake Gyllenhaal and sort of worked with him. And you see him mm-hmm. develop a lot of different things. I mean, there's the tattoos, there's the hair. And the hair is so cool. He has the blinking tick that he does, yeah. which I don't know what exactly you're supposed to make of that, but it's interesting. They throw in a couple lines of dialogue to make you feel like there's something going on, I guess. Like, oh, you... you your, your boss said you've solved every case you've ever gotten, right? So, yeah. Something sort of on the nose like that. but Yes. I mean, you get, I mean, the, the most on the nose thing, or that is probably the most on the nose thing, but the other thing is the first one is that you see him in a Chinese restaurant by himself on Thanksgiving night. Yeah. He has no, and then later the captain is like, go get a girlfriend, Gyllenhaal. Get yourself a life. Get off the beach streets and stuff. It's like, it is it is on the nose, but it does, I mean, that plus the tattoo or the tattoos and the tick, he's very neurotic. This job is his entire life. And it it does it is sort of a I mean, the plot device there is that we don't ever have to see him go home and be like talk to his wife and be like, Ah, the job's really getting to me today. I don't know if we're ever gonna find this guy or whatever. It's just every time you see him he's working. Which is good because it would have been like a three and a half hour movie if we had to get all this like, Oh, he had a kid who died of cancer or something, so this means extra to him and like it was obvious, but I appreciated the. the yeah, it seems like you of... talked about raising questions. Like his role functions as that uh, sort of just the role of law and order in the world, kind of. Right. Like you mentioned, him always being on the job. Like he kind of has this back and forth that you can see between just trusting that there are answers and he's going to find them because that's his job, and also having to have some amount of faith that things are going to come through for him when it doesn't look like it's going to. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And and since we're talking about faith, like Hugh Jackman's character is just fascinating in this movie. I mean, it opens again, kind of on the nose with him literally doing the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven while he's hunting a deer (laughs) and then talking to his son about, people turning on each other when things go wrong and being prepared for the worst and all that stuff. Yeah. That lecture is this movie's version of the math class in Incendies and the engineering class in Polytechnique, where it's like Dilly is just speaking to us saying, this is what this movie is about. I'm literally telling you what this, like, what the symbolism is supposed to be for this. And of course, and 
Yeah. He tells everyone to be prepared for the worst, and his family needs to stick together. And he has a whole basement of, like, apocalypse goods, basically. A lot of hand sanitizer. <laughs> Probably too much hand sanitizer. And at the same time, with his religious background, that he's got the cross hanging from the car and everything. And, like we mentioned, with the praying and, like, he still is very lost and unprepared for what happens. He doesn't practice anything that he preaches once things start going south. He abandons his family and his wife is really struggling and he just is off in a room trying to torture Paul Dano, basically, because he thinks he'll give him answers. And it's interesting, the parallel between him demanding an explanation for what happened and him being a really religious person. What did you make of that? I thought it, I think it, it kind of it lends to this like the big ethical question of would you or would you would you do what he's doing or would you or are you the Terrence Howard in this movie are you the, are you the Jake Gyllenhaal are you the or are you the Hugh Jackman and the the religious part of it is obviously very interesting because of the you know you shouldn't torture people <laughs> if you're a, but, uh, also but also just like, like the, at the what it's it's an explanation for life right right. But at no point is he ever like, I mean, I'm thinking through it now, but he's, is he ever questioned his faith? Well, he's... He never, and I mean, faith, lowercase f, like he doesn't question his faith in, in his religion. He doesn't question his faith that Paul Dano is the guy. He doesn't question his faith that he's going to, like, he always knows what he's going to do every time, like the whole movie, basically. There's not a lot of, uh, there is internal turmoil, but it's not, should I, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Well, because he would know. he would fall apart completely if right. he didn't have an explanation. Like, yeah. I think Terrence Howard asks him a couple of times, basically, what if you're wrong? You know? And he's mm-hmm. just like, I'm not wrong. Like, I know that it's him. And he always questions Dano more along the lines of, why are you doing this to me? Instead of, do you actually know? It's like... Right, yeah. He, he, he just is... He has to be convinced or else his entire world and worldview would fall apart more than it already has. So he's kind of holding on to that one truth, quote unquote, that he has. Mm. You know, he, like you said, like morally, the line for torturing someone or whatever is that that could be a couple sep- separate conversations. Like I saw Villeneuve talking about how he also wanted to reflect the role that torture plays in our culture when it comes to war and everything. And he... Because this was made in 2013 when there was all the stuff about uh, CIA oh, and I guess, all I that I shut this dog really quick. You can hear Hold the dog, on. right? Hold on. Go go kick... Go lift that dog up by the leash. <laughs> punch him... I'm going to punch him off the railing on the 10th floor. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go li- li- raise him by the leash. Alright. That was, that was Bo. Same as feature. I'm not actually advocating lifting up dogs by leashes and choking them. Right. I was I just referencing Paul Dano. Do that. Apparently no animals were harmed in the making, though, so... I, you know, I watched... I studied that very closely this time, and they do... Right before he, he does it, they cut away to Jackman's face, and they cut back. And, it, like, right when he does it, if you look pretty closely, you can tell it's a... I mean, it's not American Sniper fake baby <laughs> quality fake, but it's... You can tell it's a fake dog, so... I believe that they're not animals. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway. Oh, you know what? what? Maybe they had, like, a harness. Maybe it was a real dog, and they had a harness on his back, and that's who he was lifting him up. Could be. And it's pretty convincing fake dog, otherwise. Yeah, and it's pretty convincing that Dano's evil in the early going of that, too. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, Villeneuve talked about wanting to reflect the role torture plays in society, but also, like, you're talking about torture in the context of trying to save your family, effectively. and. He justifies it to himself by saying, you know, he's not a person anymore. He stopped being a person when he took our daughters, which even in the moment is sad. And you're watching it and you're like, he's a person. But when you look at it in retrospect, once you have seen how the whole film develops, it's even sadder than that because Dano basically stopped being a person years before because he was captured and drugged and like could can't even really function while he's in captivity by this Jones family. Yeah, I, and, and that, to me, the Villeneuve's... 
he usually kind of tries to do both in these in these movies, where he tries to do this like big commentary on society while also raising questions about like more personal things like this, like Incendies is about violence and about violence, and but it's at a grand Middle Eastern scale and also at like a very small personal human scale. And to me, it's always so much better when it's at this the personal human. Like I don't care about whatever commentary he's making about Guantanamo Bay here, if that's what he's doing. Because to me, what hits me is like, man, would I, would I do what Jackman does here? Would I like is if I if my daughter I don't have a daughter, but if she, if I had one and she was kidnapped, would I? And I knew, or if I felt like I knew fully who it was, would I do that? I don't know. And like it's, he says, you don't need to love him; you just need to understand him. But you're right, that's what's cool about it. It kind of works both ways, right? Like, you can view it one way if you want to. You can view it another way. There's a lot of stuff that I won't get into about Greek myths and mazes and minotaurs and everything. Like, you can view all that kind of stuff and get a lot out of this movie. Like, this is a really layered, complicated movie. And I was watching some screenshots on YouTube sort of pointing out all these different little things you might not even notice, like just symbolism planted around the houses and in the clothing and like in the cars and everything and even like something simple like Hugh Jackman's character is very religious and also he's a carpenter like right it's yeah. just like little stuff like that 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 he finally had the budget and manpower to like invest in and just get at across the board everywhere yeah the, that, that's actually interesting that he goes he goes with the he chooses scale again on this one where there's uh, something you commented was sort of a problem with Incendies where he tries to do so much and you end up losing a little bit in the margins. And I mean, this movie is a lot, obviously a lot more powerful and it, the, the, the gap in that way of what he pulls off and what he ends up losing is a lot smaller. And I think, but I still think it's there. I think that's interesting where it's, I mean, I've seen this a few times, but it was just this time where I start to like ask questions like, wait a second, why is that the case? Why is that? Like, there are still like things that are missing from this movie because he tries to do so much. Like, yeah, why there do is they not... some sense of like, oh my gosh, I have all the toys now. I have to do everything. Right. Yeah. And, and, it, it, is, and it, yeah. it is a little imperfect. Like, why is Dano alive still? Why didn't they kill him? And why, why, like, why, my, his, his aunt, his aunt or whatever, the Jones couple or whatever, I don't understand them very well. Like, why are they waging a war against God? Why would they do that? Because their kid, their kid died of cancer. Yeah, but, like, kids have cancer all the time. (laughs) I mean, it's like, I mean, I get, and honestly, it's a, it's a worth, it's a worthwhile sort of expedited situation where there's, like, you don't need to know why. But basically, these people are horrible people. It's like they're the face of evil kind of a thing. But right. that is something that it's a worth it's a worthy sacrifice. But it is a sacrifice you had to make, still by trying by choosing scale again. I guess I see your argument. I, I there are a couple different things about the way it resolves that I could have like I wouldn't have minded going in a different direction. But you know that there is definitely something interesting about the. Uh, making children disappear is the war we wage with God kind of thing. And obviously she points out that it makes people lose their faith and turn into demons, basically, which is obviously what happens to Hugh Jackman. But I do think there are directions this movie could have gone that would have been darker somehow, but even more powerful. For instance, if they did not find Jackman at the end, like, they don't, but they're obviously going to with everything right. you've seen because you hear the whistle and he's in this hole in the backyard of the Joneses' house and Gyllenhaal's going to find him. And, and he's going to go to jail for a long time because he tortured and almost killed Paul Dano. But, right. you know, that kind of leaves this hint of optimism. Like, after all this, everyone survived. And even naming the Joneses as the villains and creating that whole web, while mm-hmm. clever and creating this whole world of, like, snakes and mazes and guy who blows his brains out in the interrogation room like it create it connects everything in a way that feels neat and tidy when you like leave the theater but given some of the groundwork they lay early on in the movie like they meet alex jones's i forget his real name but they meet his mom at one point and she's like oh well 
you know, I'm just not expecting to ever get any answers at this point. Um, right. What does she say exactly? No one could ever tell me what happened to him. What do you think that means? No, no one took them. Nothing happened. They're just gone. I don't think we'll ever know. And when that scene happens in this movie, you think this movie would be fascinating if that's if that was like the thesis of it, you know? Like right. you never find out what happens to these girls and it's really just a study of Hugh Jackman and the things that he would do. Like that's a different, more simple movie, I guess, but at the same time a much more complicated movie. And I almost wish it would go there, you know. Right. So if they cut almost if they cut it at where Bobby Taylor blows his brains out in the in the cell. Yeah. Almost like there. If they were just like, we know it's not him, and that's all. That's it. And you're the never gonna get gone, any answers because he's and dead. You're never gonna get any answers. Yeah. That would hit. That would hurt a lot more. <laughs> it would definitely be. It would be. I mean, it would be a tight. What ninety? It would be. <laughs> it's probably still be at least chilling. two hours. Yeah, seriously. But I do think that that's an interesting point because this movie, to me. When I think about this movie, we were talking about this a little bit before. When I think about this movie, I don't think about the mazes, the snakes, the Bobby Taylor stuff. If I think about uh, Melissa Leo's character, it's just basically about how cold she plays the whole thing and how cool she is with the cops the entire movie. The thing I think about is Hugh Jackman torturing Paul Dano. That's this movie where, like, it's this internal struggle. I'm watching when I have it, where I was saying earlier, where I don't know what I would do there. And it's, you're watching Jackman go through something so terrible while doing something terrible to what is essentially a child basically because he has the iq of a 10 year old which quick side note is hilarious where i, I didn't notice this also but i know that this has nothing to do with the real alex jones but there's a point where jake gyllenhaal says alex jones has the iq of a 10 year old and i thought of in i thought of Infowars's alex jones, alex jones <laughs> surprise there's nothing on the internet about that but it's that that to me is the movie is that little thing that those like the that small story that almost short story of x happens to to confident faithful father's father basically he does y basically i mean you're right but i think the reason why it also still works is because every character in the complex web or maze or whatever is still a prisoner of their own design in some way or trapped in their own maze. Like, obviously, Alex Jones and Bobby Taylor are trapped in a maze that was created for them by the Joneses. Like, there's sure. a reference to a book where the last maze in the book is unsolvable and it just drives them crazy, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, when they kidnap, they say, solve this entire book and I'll let you go. Right, and the Joneses are prisoners to this thing that happened to their son and now it just drives everything they do. Like, they they have to, I mean, the husband dies, I guess, but, you know, they have to wage this war against God. And then obviously you got Hall thinking he can solve everything and just right. trying to pursue everything to its end. And Jackman being the most obvious, they actually, I guess this is not the most obvious thing, but there's a reference, Hall's reading an old news article about Keller's dad committing suicide. And there's this little bit of coloring or this coloring hinting at Jackman's character never really being able to explain his father's suicide to himself, which put him in this world of like, I'm going to, everything's going to make sense. My house is going to be in order and I'm going to be prepared for a disaster. And, you know, I'm always going to have answers because I don't have an answer to this one thing that like drives me basically, even to the point where he doesn't bother fixing up his parents' old house or cleaning it up or selling it because he feels like he can't solve that part of his life, so he just kind of leaves it in the corner, you know? Like, there's a lot of stuff like that that really works right. at the same time. Yeah, and it's also fringe characters, too. Uh, like, Maria Bello is a prisoner to her own grief, and I don't know, was she she drunk in that movie, or she she on, hooked on sleeping pills or something where she is just completely crippled, completely shut down by what happened, where she takes the opposite approach of Jackman with essentially the same results of being a prisoner to themselves, where Jackman is like, I'm just going to keep doing and doing, and I cannot stop. I'm never going to sleep. 
She also has... Until, until something happens. I saw a funny screenshot. I don't know if this is a real thing, but on her pill, it says, like, Bameza bub or something like what, what whatever the word is but it has <laughs> ma- it, it has maze in the name of the pill oh my gosh um, that's too much and 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 even like talking about roger deacons like the whole town that they live in feels like a prison because it's like this bland drab like yep. snow ridden yep. like suburbia basically and it's just like it feels like the kind of place that you can't escape i think mm-hmm. it was a, all the, everything could have happened in the same neighborhood for all i know like uh, Melissa Leo's house is in a boring neighborhood. Jackman's house is in a boring neighborhood. The Bobby Taylor's house is a boring neighborhood. It could all be literally the same neighborhood, and they just walk everywhere if they want. Yeah, it was just—it's cool watching a movie and realizing how much work it takes just to make something look boring. Right. Like things when you put them behind the camera, like inherently look more interesting visually, but they really just make this feel like a very bleak. Like, it's very bleak. Yeah. Bleak place. And the weather matches. It's it's snowing, iced in, and then and and so like these characters are all. I do think this is part of the movie. It's a, mo- a theme, motif, whatever. Where every character is a, is a version of a prisoner. Um, we were talking about the main ones, obviously, and Maria Bella. But even their son, who is basically like, I want to help, but I'm just a kid. I'm powerless, and he's his job is to be there. It's just to be there for his mom, kind of, is what his dad tells him, and. Just even like though his dad's not anything. there for them at all. Yeah, even though his, yeah, and he thinks he's out drinking and stuff, and then the two little After girls being are sober for prisoners. a long time. And then to me, one of the most interesting viewpoints is, is Terrence Howard, where mm. I watch this movie, and I think this this is us. We're we are Terrence Howard in this movie. He sees Jackman boarding up this hopeless, basically child in this bathroom, and start torturing him and punching him and threatening him to break his hands with hammers and stuff and bring him to the to the edge of death without getting any results whatsoever. He, bring, he forces Terrence Howard to come into the situation and watch. And Howard's like, no, you can't do this. Because when we watch, we inst- instinctually say, this is bad. This is You're supposed to have a gut reaction. This, this is not how you treat anyone ever. And so he is is torn where, his, where he's not going to help, but he can't bring himself to, to stop doing it. And, I, and to me, he's the most audience character. He's the window for us. Because everyone else is so character, so in their in their character that it's almost not hard to relate to. Because obviously, they're very sympathetic characters. But he's an important one because he plays us to me, I guess. Yeah. And Viola Davis in this too. Yeah, it's just it, it reminds me of Interstellar in some ways. And <laughs> what I mean, what strikes time travel. What strikes me about Villeneuve watching his interviews is that he really doesn't seem to have an ego, like. He actually feels like a very collaborative person just in the way that he talks about things. That's the biggest difference between him and Nolan, I think, because you can feel Nolan's ego coming through in the overplotting of his movies and everything. Sure. Yeah. But the the reason it reminds me of Interstellar is because it's that it's that exact kind of movie that I love where everyone involved just went for it and tried to make the craziest most complicated sort of questioning movie that they could and some of it works and some of it doesn't but overall like it's just great because they tried to do so many different things i will say that there was an oversight that bothered me every time gyllenhaal pulled up those old newspaper clips you know Mm -hmm. there was never a byline on any of those articles it's like give the give the journalists some credit you know (laughs) such a journalism snob over here even there's yeah. like there's TV news trucks that show up outside their houses. I always hate stuff like that. Get the TV news out of there. Yeah, those are rats. You know, it's an interesting thought experiment here. You mentioned what if Christopher Nolan was getting this movie? You'd have Tom Hardy as Hugh Jackman. You'd have like 40 more layers of maze stuff. Yeah. You'd probably be married to Marion Cotillard or whatever Cotillard. Cotillard. It sounds like the cast Cotillard. would still be great, but. Yeah, the cat. I mean, think about it. And then Cillian, Mur- Cillian Murphy would play Bobby Taylor. Oh, for sure. Um, who who would play Michael Caine would be in there somewhere. I mean, Heath Ledger would probably be Dano if it was if the timing was right. Oh man, let's keep Dano Dano in this one. <laughs> I just like it. I guess Nolan's worked with uh, Jackman. I actually saw that Villeneuve wanted Jackman for this movie after he watched Prestige. So. Oh, interesting. Jackman could still just be Jackman in this movie, I guess. Yeah. Okay, then we'll move. Uh, Hardy can be 
Jalen Hall. <laughs> Jalen Hall. Hardy would have to be Jackman. There would just be two Jackmans in this movie. Terrence Howard would be played by Tom Hardy, and he would just be another Jackman. They would just go go double. Who would be Jalen Hall? It's interesting because uh, DiCaprio. Mm. Yeah, that would probably suck. But you're well, right, he, though. Wasn't he originally? You're like, right, though. Well, that's a, the, the biggest difference is that the whole movie would just be about mazes. Exactly. There, that, it would be. We would have one or two scenes where Jackman struggles with with wanting to do everything, and then he would kind of move on from Dano, and it would be, it would all kind of tie, it would tie together more neatly, maybe, because that's what he does, he loves puzzles, it would be a puzzle movie, and I think it's an important distinction where this isn't a puzzle movie, it's a maze, it's about mazes or whatever, but, like, what we've learned from, we've had the, the benefit of watching a bunch of Villeneuve movies has actually informed the way that we get to watch this one, where it is very, it has that puzzle aspect to it, but it's just an aspect where the movie itself isn't necessarily a puzzle. It's deeper than that. Yeah. And not in an inception kind of deeper, but and, like an actual emotional deeper. Yeah, and like you said, they did a ton of work to make each character kind of have their own their own right. prison or their own motivating yeah. drive or whatever. And, like, even, even Hall's boss has a line about, like, you know, we can't always save the day. We're just janitors. You know, like even right. even that guy gets like his worldview into the movie. Yeah, and so the fact that this isn't one giant puzzle gives it some freedom to explore those things and the characters themselves. And I'm more forgiving when things on the edge don't necessarily add up because it's not yeah. necessarily about that. Especially when there's so many different things you can take from it. You know, like you were talking right. about like faith and torture and prison and suburbia and worldviews and. <laughs> children yeah. preparedness to what degree you can be prepared yeah it's just got it's got it all it's even got ironically the the most i smiled during this movie was during one of the creepiest parts probably when Hall knocks on the door of bobby taylor mm-hmm. and he starts joking with him and Hall lets out that like Hall smile you know yeah and it's just Gosh. like god he's just so great Hall is is the best actor and i and it's so great to watch. It was so great to watch him go up against Jackman in this movie, where, like, from the beginning, and this is like, I mean, this is the benefit of Villeneuve finally having the top tier of actors in this movie because they do things, they add things to this movie that regular actors cannot possibly add. That smug, not smug, but it's like almost like a shitty grin that he has when he's kind of talking to them about I mean it's like almost a grin he's almost smiling trying to explain when he's when he's when he goes and he sits with Maria Bello and Hugh Jackman and is explaining to them the pro, sort of the process of how they're going to go through this and stuff and they're trying to say like are you doing this are you sure you're not checking this and all this stuff and he's like listen I'm a, I'm a police officer basically and you get this like that's right there is where you get this I'm the law versus a chaotic good sort of thing the lawful neutral versus chaotic good thing and you can all like I had to have I had to have Hall's face doing that because it's so and I like just, that long grin he has is, yeah. is perfect and i just love like we were talking about earlier how even without giving him this overwrought backstory or like motivation or anything like he right. feels so lived in and real just like instantly yeah um from the chinese restaurant to the blinking to the tattoos to the hair like it's just, it doesn't feel overdone as much as it just feels like, oh, yeah, I, I, I get this guy. And he is not a character actor either. Like, he is, that's the thing, where he, you get you get this guy, you get him instantly, but he's never done that before. Because he could have easily taken aspects of Nightcrawler or Zodiac, because he, what was he in Zodiac, a journalist or detective or something, and brought that into it and had that spin on it. But this is like a brand new thing, this overly what is he in that movie i don't remember um, i think he's a journalist but this like overly controlled neurotic detective who i mean they both him and jackman are completely consumed by this case but in completely different ways yeah the only other thing i wanted to talk about was that consumption that can is that a consumption that jackman yeah, has like, like the way that he tortures dano i think is interesting in the context of other villeneuve movies also because we talked a lot during Polytechnique and Incendies about the way that Villeneuve presented violence and torture, basically. And it's interesting because he does talk in interviews about prisoners that he was very adamant about 
you know, making sure that he's not making a show of the violence as much as showing the brutal, like, impact of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this movie was much bloodier and much more gruesome than those previous movies where I was very praiseworthy of the restraint with which he handled violence, right? So this was right. like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure where I fall exactly on how he handles it in this one. Yeah, I'm not either. I I, I think I was reading somewhere that it was originally going to be NC-17, and they cut. They ended up cutting down on the, the torture to get it to R. Um, yeah, I read. I read that somewhere also. And so I think it's it's tough because I'm glad. Okay, I'm. If he was gonna do it, I'm glad he did it in this one. If he had tried to do it in Incendies or Polytechnique with a lower budget, it would have looked bad and it would have felt out of place. And Polytechnique, where, that would be a whole different story if he had handled it poorly, you know. Yes, exactly. And in this one, I think. With with doing it and showing it, it is fairly conservative. He kind of he kind of he's able to rein it in to just just on Dano. Is it bad? And I think it like it definitely adds that that gut punch of it makes it fully disgusting and, and hard to watch. Well, there's also the and guy blowing I, his brains out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that felt you didn't. I mean, yeah, that's true. That didn't have to be shown. I mean, well, in Cindy's had that kind of thing too, where. Um, there is some sort of standard, just like blood on the, blood on the wall type stuff where, I mean, the kids get shot in the street and they show, they show blood in that one too, but, and this one was short and jarring, at least it had that effect, but the Dano's face is burned into my brain after watching when he talks about I always hate duct tape on bloody things. Yeah. It's one of the grossest things. (laughs) It's so unsanitary too, gosh, you need an infection for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure that he handled it as deftly in this movie as he does in others. But that's the thing. I think it, like, adds to... It does not... You don't... It makes it so much harder to say, of course I would do that if I were Jackman. Yeah. And I think that might have been his fear, where he's like, it, I don't want it to be too cut and dry what you should do here. I don't want it to be too easy to, to say I would do what he does, or what he's doing. But even still, um, like, I would argue it's way more powerful to have to it's way more powerful to have Jackman create some kind of wooden prison that just has like a thing you can like talk through and then right. rig the water system to like be really hot or really cold and not actually show what that does to him like that yeah, concept in and of itself is way more violent viscerally than actually showing it uh, I don't know because we we have we have that after we get to see what he looks like. Like, we are full... This That is the full extent of the corruption of almost innocence, I guess. Like, we get to see the full... For a second, at least. And then, after, he stops. Like, he doesn't really show it. He, he puts him in the shower. He puts him, like... He boards it up, and you just see his, his little mouth talking through the thing or whatever. I don't know. I think it's tough. Because I'm... 99% of the time, I'm for implying that that kind of thing and i think it is stronger and more effective but in this case it's a good it's an essentially it's the protagonist doing the the dark thing where in the other movies incendies and polytechnique it's the evil the obvious evil subject doing something heinous where it's like we don't need to drive this in any harder i don't know i don't i just don't know if i would i would have felt the torture as strongly if i didn't see it yeah because i think when we talk when you talk about torture it's not as you don't get a, as visceral of a of a feeling as literally seeing it happen. I guess. Yeah, it's tough to know for sure. I guess what it would be like, how impactful it would be without it. I don't know. But I wonder if, it, well, I wonder if they edit it like on if it goes on TNT or something. Oh man, I wonder. I yeah. They, I bet they cut it out. That would be an interesting thing. Although now I'm just gonna imagine his puffed up face. Yeah, when Viola Davis comes and sits down across from him, it's just like, oh my god. Yeah, and then the fact that she's able to walk out of that and say, keep doing it, we gotta let him do what he's gonna do, is, oh man, that's tough. Yeah, I feel like every, I feel like every Villeneuve conversation ends with like a deep sigh and, yeah, (laughs) like just wiping my tears off, off the ground. And that's such a compliment to him. I mean, he's a great... 
He makes great movies. Yeah. The fact that I, they all, essentially all of them do that after his dumb ones from the early 2000s. <laughs> it's funny, too, because I actually really liked August 32nd. And it, it almost seems like it's a different director at this point. Right. Like, you can see some of the visual stuff with, like, the flair for establishing shots and kind of creating a beautiful world and everything. Mm-hmm. But as far as the investigation of humanity and darkness and everything, it's just, like, it seems like a different director in that movie. Yes. But, yeah, man, we're getting into the good stuff here. And if you if you think Jake Gyllenhaal is the greatest ever, you know, what if I told you there's a movie that has Jake Gyllenhaal playing both leads? Oh, my gosh. I can't handle it. It's going to be the baskets of movies. Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal playing. Just as sad. <laughs> if baskets if baskets casted Jake Gyllenhaal to play both. Oh, my God. That would be something else. Gosh. I think instead of a director, we should we should run through next next series. Not to end this one, too. Not to look ahead. Prematurely. Fully invest in yeah, prematurely. I think we should just do a Jake Gyllenhaal run through. Some good freaking movies here. I mean, how many movies has he been in? He has 45. Ooh. <laughs> that would keep us <laughs> but, busy I mean, for a full year. For a year, yeah. And it would be funny, too, because I bet you, like, the early movies, he's just barely in. I mean, I'm not sure we could do a full podcast on uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. I would personally be looking One forward to the in. Jake Gyllenhaal Man vs. Wild episode. Is that an episode? Is he in that show? Yeah. 2011, Man vs. Wild with Jake Gyllenhaal. Shoot. He's in a video short with Jamie Foxx and T-Pain. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we'll just... We'll, we'll get into him more when we yeah. talk about Enemy. That's our next movie. It came out in the same year as Prisoners. So we'll get into that on the next episode. But I think that's all I got on Prisoners. Anything else? We didn't talk about Paul Dano as much as I would want to. <laughs> but he, he is so good. And I and I I don't know if we, if I said this on a podcast or not if I just said it to you over internet or something, but or if I you were just saying it at random as you walked through the, the streets into the air yeah when I was as I walk my dog through the streets, Paul Dano is just bats a thousand. The dude is only in great movies it feels like, and I don't think that he exists outside of outside of movies. I think you did say I mean, this. On, I think you have said this before. <laughs> He, I probably he I also, so okay. like, you wouldn't get this analogy, but he also swings, like, Vladimir Guerrero every time. Like, he goes a thousand, like, not only does he bat yes. a thousand, he goes a thousand. Yes, you don't see, you don't see Paul Dano come onto a movie and you go, oh, huh, cool, I didn't know he was in this movie, or, oh, hey, is that Paul Dano? Frankly, or, <laughs> you don't go, huh, what a subtle performance. <laughs> yes, yeah. No one ever says, did you know Paul Dano was in that movie? And you're like, no, I did not. That never happens. His most subtle is, I don't know, Little Miss Sunshine, where he, where he plays a silent person obsessed with Nietzsche until he screams into the sky. Hmm. That's a great movie. He's in Cowboys and Aliens. Well, now, I, now we got to watch Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not a thousand, but it's close. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Enjoy Prisoners. Stay tuned, Blade Runner 2049, closer and closer. Next time, we'll talk about enemy. As I say goodbye to my enemy, Sam Mitchell. Goodbye. Foxworthy Podcast.